Welcome this morning. You are joining us at Calvary Chapel, Valdosta. Pastor C.D. Van Cleve continues preaching from the book of 2 Corinthians. Now, let us listen in to what the Lord has to say. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1 through 18. It says this, Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not faint, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine to them. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. <clears throat> Excuse me, persecuted, but not forsaken, cast down, but not destroyed, always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then, death works in us but life in you. We have, we having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believe and therefore I have spoken, we also believe and therefore speak, knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus and present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. For which cause we do not faint, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, works for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. <clears throat> and Father, we just thank you this morning for your word. I Ask, Lord, that you would allow the word of Christ to be alive to us, Lord, to be a light to us, Lord. And though there are so many things in our world that are shaky, so many things that are um, not certain, uh, your word is permanent. Your word is a foundation, Lord. And this is what we seek to build our lives upon. So I ask that you would just give us focus and attention just for these few minutes that we look into the perfect law of liberty, and that you help us to not just be hearers of this word, Lord, this day, uh, but we will be doers of the word, endeavoring, Lord, to be doers of the word. That's our, our prayer, Lord. That's our desire. We know it brings you uh, much glory, and it, and it brings you much delight to know that your children are walking in truth, your truth, Lord. So we thank you for this. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 
I thought since we've gone through chap, you know, three chapters, I thought it would be uh, important for me to go back and and remind you of the theme of our focus of the book of Second Corinthians. Uh, remember, we just finished up the book of First Corinthians, and it was all about reaching full potential. But when you get into Second Corinthians, there's a different feel of this book, and it gives you the sense that there's a man writing to a group of people that he's endeared to, wanting to convince them and prove to them his love. And so the whole theme of this book as we study through Second Corinthians is restoring full confidence. Uh, there had been people that crept into the, the church in Corinth, and they, they basically had all these accusations against Paul the Apostle, the one that started the church here. And it caused many people to fall out of love with this man and to start looking at him from a different viewpoint, a different perspective. And some people didn't you know, believe who he was and they thought that his credibility wasn't even strong. And so the apostle is writing to these believers, especially in these first several chapters, trying to cause them and, and ensure that they would embrace spiritual guidance. And that was the whole idea of him talking about uh, leadership and their leadership. So over the past several weeks, we have been looking at different aspect, aspects of this. I should say a few weeks. Uh, the first week, we talked about the proof of leadership. That was chapter one. And the second week, we talked about the path of leadership. That was chapter two. And then uh, a couple weeks ago, before Mother's Day, we talked about the principles of leadership, which is really relying on the Holy Spirit. But this day, this morning in chapter 4, we're going to be talking about the pressures of leadership. And I, I think what, what I think the spirit of the text is trying to convey and share with us is the heart of the apostle, which is really the heart of God. And that's the reason why this letter was preserved for us to study and to learn and, and to absorb and memorize, is, is just really trying to explain the things that he's going through for the people the things that he is experiencing for the people and and he wants them to see this is seeing things from a whole different aspect uh, instead of just thinking about you know your own way and idea of what spiritual leadership is and what it does but hearing from a man himself sharing personal things and things that they're they're dealing with and one of those main things are is the pressures of leadership. That's one of the main issues. A lot of times we don't really understand fully the pressures that uh, spiritual leaders take on. Uh, it's not that they're just taking on the pressures of the church, but they also have the same type of pressures that everyone else has, which is personal pressures. The things that come in our life that try to rob us and steal us of joy, uh, steal joy away from us, rob us of joy, try to take away our, our peace, uh, you know, the, the spiritual leaders, they have the personal things that we all deal with, and they also have the spiritual things and dealing with other people. So the pressures can be a lot. But I like how David Roper said in his book, Growing Slowly Wise, he says uh, this about uh, growth and about pressure and difficulties. He says, growth and difficulty go hand in hand. He says, the more pressure, the better the vessel. And so what we see here when we look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4 
is that we'll see that it is pressures from without, this pressures from within, all these pressures upon these leaders, and, and particularly Paul himself as well, that is trying to uh, just snuff out the, the, the vitality and the desire that he has to finish the work and to do what God has called him to do. And so uh, a lot of that can be translated sometimes to us because you know, we, we a lot of times think about growth and wanting to grow and, and growth has to come with difficulty. This is what we see in the scriptures, that trials have to come. That's how we grow. Uh, but more pressure, the better the vessel and the better that that leadership is able to minister to the people. Remember, I gave you a working definition of leadership as we started the book of 2 Corinthians. The leadership is leading a life for the development of others. That's what it's all about. A real leader is caring about the development of other people. A real leader is not just caring about the mission, uh, despite the people. The real leader is thinking about the people and how they can carry out the mission. And that is where the focus is. And this is where Paul's heart is. And so he's going to explain to us the pressures. Now, I saw three pressures in this chapter in these 18 verses. In verses 1 through 4, we see the pressures of compromise. And this is what Paul says, we are not going to compromise at all. But there are people that compromise. And we're going to dig a little deeper into that. And that's verses 1, I'm sorry, verses 1 through 6. But then verse 7 through 12, we'll see also the pressures of conflict. And, you know, there's a conflict that comes in our life. Uh, mainly, a lot of times, it happens on the outside, uh, whether it's sicknesses or financial things or uh, relational things. There's conflicts. And, and even for the man that is serving the Lord um, and walking in the ways of the Lord, he's still experiencing these conflicts as well. And then lastly, it's just the pressures of confidence. And what I mean by that is, that there's always a pressure trying to come in to rob us of our faith and our belief and our hope and our expectation. And this is especially true for the leader. And so this is what uh, Paul is dealing with. And I don't want us to feel like, well, this is not for me because I'm not a leader. Because I want you to understand that we are all uh, leaders in some aspect. Uh, now, we may not have positional authority where, you know, we have a title, but... God has called us to lead a life that is worthy of him, to lead a life that can lead others. And that doesn't matter who you are. You can be, there's going to be so many, there's going to be so many people in the kingdom of God that did not have positional authority. Like no one in this world handed them a title. No one in this world said, you're going to be over this. But man, we're going to find out that they have led hundreds and thousands of people with their lifestyle. And they're going to be shocked themselves. How? When? When did I ever get this chance? By just your example. And so I want you to see that as well. So you're not excluded from these texts and, and these verses. Here it is, verse 1. He says, Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not faint. Now when you look at this verse, in my mind, I, I'm thinking this verse is not just to be said alone. But in fact, it connects to our previous thoughts and what we were learning in chapter 3. Because he says, therefore, so there's that, that uh, connecting word. And he says, we have this ministry. The question is, what ministry? What is the ministry that we have? And this is Paul speaking, saying we have this ministry. He's speaking about how God has commissioned and called him. 
but even making it more corporate for the rest of the believers there, saying, we have this ministry. What ministry? Well, no doubt it's the ministry that begins with the Holy Spirit. That's what chapter 3 was all about. He says that you are written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. So he says we have this ministry. It's a, it's a, a godly ministry that it starts with the Holy Spirit, a glorious ministry. Remember he talked about the glory being upon Moses and that the ministry of the Spirit is even more glorious than that. And we even have a, a life-changing ministry. This is, this is what Paul is saying. He says because we have this type of ministry, it's not the Old Testament type of ministry where the law dominated all things, but this is a spirit-led ministry that really makes real impact into people's lives. Because we have this ministry and God has commissioned us to it, he says, therefore, as we have received mercy, he says, we do not faint. Because of these reasons, we don't faint. The word faint there can be translated, we're not utterly spiritless. We're not, we're not just giving up and just saying, forget it. Because of the things that involve ministry. And so remember I said the first pressure is the pressures of compromise. Uh, the, trying to get us to compromise, you know, uh, pressures from without, from within, from people. Trying to get us to compromise on what? Here's the first thing. To, trying to get us to compromise on the commitment of our calling. You know, a lot of serving the Lord is, is not like a job where we just get to choose what we're going to do. But a lot of it is a calling. And these men that Paul is talking about himself, they've been called to serve. This is not something that they chose. God chose them. And so this is a commitment. It's a commitment to what God wants. And so when you think about that, there's a lot of uh, things that are trying to compromise that commitment. This is why he says we do not faint. Because when you start looking at other ministries, when you start looking at you know, away from the Holy Spirit and you start focusing more on what you're doing, you can look and say, man, what am I really accomplishing? I mean, Paul could look at the Corinthians and say, all of this skepticism, all of this division, all of these things that are going on in the church, I mean, what? maybe I didn't do anything right. But he's like, our ministry is not like that. We have the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And because we receive this ministry by mercy, which is something that we, we did not earn and we're getting, you know, something that we don't deserve. He says we don't faint. We, we don't give up. And that's the thing, man. There's a lot in this world that wants to cause us to give up. Uh, when we look at Christianity and our serving the Lord and following the Lord, maybe the Lord has called you to follow him somewhere. Maybe he's called you to be a certain way. Maybe he wants you to be more committed, more devoted. And when you're doing that, you don't really see the fruit, the tangible fruit. You know, you might have kids that are still wayward or you might have dreams that have not come to pass or things that you, you hope for. And that will cause you to compromise that commitment. So, you know, I don't think I want to do that anymore. I just want to get rid of that. And this is what we have to go back and remind ourselves that we don't have just a ministry that is based on law, but we have one that's based on the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit of the Lord is working. We just read there in chapter 3 that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And he says, as we behold the Lord, we are changed from glory to glory. That means there is some real transformation power in following the Lord this way. So 
There's no need to compromise or give up our commitment to the calling. This is why he says, we don't faint. We have this type of ministry. We don't faint. We, we hold fast. He goes on and says, he says, but we have, he says, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty. Some of your Bibles may say shame. Not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Here's this second compromise here, the pressures that, that the leader often feels, is to compromise the care of God's word, to, to compromise the proper handling of it. This is what Paul is saying. We don't compromise that either. Okay, with the pressures that we're experiencing, we're not feigning. We're remembering the type of ministry we have, but we're also not compromising the word of God. He says we're not, we've renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, of shame, and, and we're not walking in craftiness and not handling the word of God with deceit. That means trying to gain something. Now, there's a, there's a real feeling of compromise when it comes to God's word, because when you oftentimes uh, when you try to live out God's word, when you try to speak out God's word, when you're trying to uh, preach God's word, oftentimes you don't get the fruit of God's word immediately. And a lot of times you get negative fruit. People don't want to hear what the word of God has to say. In fact, in the times that we live, people don't want to hear that. They, they want to hear something that's more relevant. They want to hear something that is more uh, attuned to what they care about and that is going with the course of this world. They don't want to hear God's word. They're saying this is archaic. This word doesn't even make sense. You know, and there's so and then you hear people say there's contradictions and and so there's a there's a real uh, there is a real temptation uh, to compromise uh, the word of God so that we can get people to like us, so we can get people to want to gravitate to us. And this is what Paul says, we're not doing that. We're not peddling the word of God. We're not, you know, handling it deceitfully. We're not trying to do these things so that we can gain people. That's not our desire. We don't want to gain people for the sake of just gaining people and looking cool. Uh, you know, I like how a guy once said, God is not looking for uh, cool Christians. He's looking for called Christians. This is what it's all about. It's not people that are just cool but the world that we live in this is what we say today i mean if you look at the book of uh second timothy chapter four in verses three and four of timothy notice what uh paul the same writer what he says there he says for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned to fables. This is what we're dealing with today. And so many people, they don't want to hear this. And so we look at these big congregations, and I'm not discrediting that, but we look at some of these places that are out here, and, and they have all these people, and they fly, and what are they, what are they spending time in? A lot of it is emotional things. A lot of it is situational things, but a lot, not a lot of it is based on the truth. Like, I need God's word. I need to be poured into. I need to connect with this word. This is what Paul is saying. Look, we're not handling it in a way so that we could just gain converts. Where we're just being crafty and deceitful with it for our own, our own purposes. He says, but by manifestation of the truth, by revealing of God's word, 
He says, we're commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. So people can see what we're doing. They look at our lives, they look at the word, and they match up. They're not looking at our lives and looking at the word and coming up with an excuse and saying, well, you know, that's because they're like this. No, they're, they're seeing these things equal. And this, this brings so much clarity. And so we have to be prepared. We have to be careful uh, with the, the compromise of the care of God's word. Also, you know, going back to that whole care of the, the commitment and when we're, when we're serving the Lord and we're just thinking about from that standpoint um, our ministry. Remember, when we're serving the Lord and when God has called you to do anything for him, not just, you know, pastoring, just anything, we, we have to remember that it is a work that we're doing. It is a labor. And with labor comes exhaustion and, and it comes time and all those things, effort and exertion. And so we just have to remember it's a good work, but it is work. And there's so many things that want to give, want to cause us to compromise and turn away from the truth, the things that we really need. Paul and his guys are like, man, we're not compromising anything. We don't want to compromise our ministry, our calling. We don't want to compromise our care of God's word. We want to be very careful. He says, but if our gospel is hid in verse three, it is hid to those that are lost. You see, there were some people there in the church that were saying, yeah, these guys are just being sneaky, just like the rest of them. And they're not really being truthful. And they're trying to just, you know, cause you to follow them and cause you to. And he's like, look, if our gospel is hidden, if, if it is, you know, cryptic, he says, then it's hid to those that are lost. Because we're walking in a way where it is evident. You can look at our lives and you can look at the text and they both read the same thing. He says, it's hid to those people that are lost in whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe, that which do not believe, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine to them. So this tells us here that people that are lost are blind, and that the gospel essentially is hidden from their eyes. So when you're trying to share with people, or you're wondering why can't they just get it, it's because they're blinded. They cannot see. They've been veiled. And this is what happens. And the God of this world, uh, he mentions there, which would be Satan. And so remember, I want you to understand that it's not God and then it's Satan and they're all equal, like the angel and the devil that we have those, those figures and cartoons on each shoulder. It's not like that. But for some, some reason, uh, Satan has authority down here on, on this earth. And he's controlling principalities and things like that. But he's also blinding people. And he's causing people that do not believe, those that willingly reject the good news, reject the truth. Uh, those are the people whose eyes are blinded. And he says that he doesn't want that, that, that light of Christ to shine upon them. And that is, that's the key. That's what we have to remember. But Paul is saying that's not our case. Man, we are speaking and we are living in such a clear way that nobody can deny who we are Nobody can deny this word. Notice verse 5. He says, For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. Now this is important as well. We don't preach ourselves. This is another area of compromise here, and especially on leadership, the pressures of leadership is to preach yourself, is to talk about who you are and all the things that you're doing and 
utilizing yourself as examples. We've got to be careful with that. Now, I like how Joseph Stoll, he used to be the president of Moody Bible Institute. I like what he said in his book on shepherding. He said, the purpose of the proclaimer is to be a conduit, not a celebrity. And to show people the greatness of his God, not the greatness of his gifts. That's the purpose of the proclaimer. He's, he's only meant to be a conduit, an instrument that God can flow through. He's not meant to be this celebrity. But somehow, something has transpired in the church where people are becoming celebrities. Celebrity pastors, celebrity elders or deacons, whatever it's called, singers. And that, that's so contrary. Uh, that right there is, is really a compromise of the character of a Christian. A Christian is never meant to outshine the one that he's trying to be like. If you remember the word Christian, if you break it up, it's Christ and then it's I-A-N. And the I-A-N means just like or just as. And so if you're a Christian, you are just as Christ. But somehow the Christians are trying to overshadow Christ. And we're becoming celebrities. You know, remember, a celebrity is a star, is somebody to be looked at, someone to salivate over and, and to envy. That's not what the Christian is supposed to be. This is why Paul goes and he says in verse 5, we don't preach ourselves. We're not talking about who we are. We're nothing. He says, but we preach Christ Jesus the Lord. That's who we're preaching. And ourselves, he said, we're your servants, your bond slaves for your sake. That's what we're doing. And that is, that is something that the leader needs to be careful of. It's not to preach himself or herself. Uh, God doesn't need us to be promoting ourselves um, in, in, men's, in men's eyes. The only person that we should be talking about, that we should be boasting about and you know, expounding on is Jesus Christ the Lord, not ourselves. Now, sometimes it might be okay to utilize ourselves as an illustration, um, but we gotta be very, very careful because that could slowly turn into people worshiping us and people talking about us and how great we are. And that, that right there, you know you have lost it all when people can only see you. And so we have to be very, very careful. I remember a friend of mine, he, he, we were very close, he helped me come to the Lord. He moved out to California and he started going to another church. And then he told me that, you know, one of these Christian rappers came to the church and he was so excited that this guy came to the church and, uh, he was, uh, you know, rapping at, at the end of the service, and it was such a blessing. He said, man, he was man, just spewing off the scriptures and, and everything. And he said he went up there, and he wanted to just talk to him and maybe get his, you know, just to talk to him and just get his thoughts on a few things. And he said when he was standing up there waiting for the people to talk to him, he said uh, there were people that were coming up, and they were saying things like, man, I was so tight what you said right there, and Man, you know, you're a real blessing. And, and man, I thought this was like, he said he would just hear this sound like, shh, shh. And he said he, he turned around looking like, man, who's doing that? And he said as he got closer, as they were, people would say different things, he'd just hear, shh. And he said when he got up close, he realized he was the one doing it. And what he was trying to do was deflect this whole idea of, this whole idea of trying to give him glory, trying to bring credit to him. 
And um, and this is the this is the thing. We we got to make sure that we're not preaching ourselves. You know that you did an effective job in whatever you're doing. When at the end of the day, when it comes when it comes down to it, that people are talking more about Jesus Christ than they are talking about you. Um, that that is the barometer right there. You know when you have done something and you have ministered to somebody or you have spoken do they walk away saying man i just want to know the lord more man i just need to read my bible more can you pray for me that i can do that or are they like man this is a fabulous speaker man this person is great man you should you should hear them you know where are you at what church do you go to that's going to be the natural thing but we got to remember jesus christ he is the main thing. That's where we got to keep it. This is what Paul is saying. We cannot compromise the character of a Christian. We don't preach ourselves. He says, for God, in verse 6, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It's all about the Lord Jesus Christ. God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness. Genesis chapter 1. God, it was dark over the earth. God said, let there be light. And then there was light. Light shined out of darkness. And Paul says, in the same way, he shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. What is that? It's in the face of Jesus Christ. That's the, that's the knowledge of the glory of God is in the face of Jesus Christ. It is Jesus Christ. And this is what Paul is saying. We have to focus just on that. So the leader is experiencing different pressures. And the first pressure is that pressures of compromise. They want to compromise your calling and the commitment. Wanting you to compromise your care of handling the word of God. And to compromise also the character of a Christian. We, we must aim not to compromise those things. We don't need to compromise. We need to focus. But this is what Paul is experiencing. Because this is what's happening all around him. We think about this today. We're like, there's so much, you know, false doctrine. There's so much uh, cotton candy Christianity all out here. And guess what? It was happening even there in the first century. There were people that were peddling the word of God, just as he said there in chapter 2. Uh, there, were, there were people that were trying to get a gain. Even in Philippians chapter 1, he says that some are preaching Christ out of selfishness. He says, but nevertheless, he rejoiced because Christ is being preached. We have to remember not to fall into this category. But these are the pressures of leaders. I mean, when you think about a person that is serving in a church, a pastor that is leading a group of people, there's always a, a, a temptation to want to have a gigantic congregation, to want to, um, to, to have this illusion that, this church is healthy and is growing and is vibrant because what you'll start thinking is if the church looks vibrant and healthy, then it's going to bring more people. And then a lot of times they'll say more people equates to more resources, maybe better buildings. And, and, and people get caught up in all of those things. And so we have to be careful with the pressures of compromise and to be full of integrity. Notice verse 7. He says, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Question, what treasure is he talking about? We have this treasure. What treasure? I think it goes back to verse 6. 
It is the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We have that treasure, that gospel, that good news about the Lord, that spirit-led ministry. We have this treasure, he says, in earthen vessels. That word earthen there could just be translated frail vessels. That's just speaking of us humanly and naturally. But we have this treasure in those earthen vessels. Now what you have to understand here that our frailty promotes the power of God. That's why he says this excellency is of the power of God, not of us. So our frailty promotes the power of God because when people see you and me, they're like, how is this guy able to do this? How is this person able to walk like this? How are you able to keep a steady mind in such a turbulent time? How are you able to do it? And when they look at you, they're like, this, this is a, look at this guy. He's like me. He doesn't even seem like he has it all together. He's not wearing the best and he doesn't have all the greatest money. And they don't, they don't understand. It's very peculiar because they look at the vessel. So what it does is our frailty promotes the power of God. They can, they can, the only way they can explain it is that it's God working in you and through you and for you. But it also invites the perils of weakness, this, this earthen vessel that we're in. And so we have to deal with conflicts. We have to deal with pressures from without. Uh, things that are trying to discourage us, that are trying to weigh us and slow us, stop us. Notice what he says in verse 8. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. Now, this is very weird to the person that is in uh, some form of doctrine that really only speaks to good things, you know, and not to anything that is difficult. Paul says we are troubled on every side. That can be translated pressed in. We are pressed in. Have you ever felt pressed in on every side? It seems like it doesn't matter which way you turn. If you turn east, you turn west, you turn north, you turn south. You just feel pressed in, just pressure, and you, you don't feel relief. You know, the other day I was riding. I went out uh, bike riding, and, I you know, I thought I was going to have a really good ride because I looked at the weather, and the weather looked good, and I, and I paid attention to the wind. And I thought I had that down. It was blowing southwest. And so I said, if I go in, you know, the same direction of the wind, this is going to be all great. And I started off just doing that. But it just felt like the wind was shifting. I was riding into the wind. So I made a right turn to try to go east. And guess what happened? I was still riding into the wind. I, I turned west, riding into, I turned north. And I almost got discouraged and said, this is just, this is all for nothing. I'm just riding in wind. That's what it means. There, when he says, we are troubled on every side, pressed in. And he says, but yet not distressed. That means yet we're not at to the point in which we're going to give up, where we're going to just faint and just lose it all. No, we're not distressed. He says, we are perplexed. This word right here in the Greek, it literally means to sometimes be in doubt, to, to not really understand everything. You are perplexed, confused. Now you are a servant of God. This is what Paul is saying. He is a servant of God. He is following God. He's been called by God, but yet he feels confused by God. He can't understand. When we were studying yesterday morning in the book of Job, this is what we also 
uh, pulled out is that Job could not understand what was going on. Remember, in the book of Job, he was not part and privy to what was happening there in heaven, where, where the Lord was boasting on him and Satan was was saying that, you know, he's only doing that because you're there, Lord. And, and Job didn't know any of this. He didn't know that Satan was antagonizing his character and, and, and causing a lot of these difficulties and, and turbulence in his life. And so that causes us to be confused. It causes us to be in a state of perplexity. But Paul says we are perplexed sometimes. So we don't get that, okay? When we read the book of Acts, we, we don't get perplexity. All you see is progress, right? That's all you see revealed. You're thinking, man, they're just progressing. They went here. They went to Iconium. They went to Lustra. They went to Derbe. They went, they went to all these places, and they're preaching the word, and they're making, they're making disciples, and they're establishing churches. And it's an amazing, glorious thing. But Paul says there are times in which we're perplexed. We don't even know what God is doing. We're doubting if the Lord has even called us. And, you know, he says, but we are not, we're perplexed, but we're not in despair. We're not hopeless. We're troubled and pressed in on every side, but we're not crushed. We're not destroyed. We're perplexed in so many ways, but we're not hopeless. Sometimes that's what perplexity does to us. It causes us to be hopeless. When we can't understand something logically, it causes us to just give up mentally. And then we, we, we just, without hope, we're like, let's just give that up altogether. Paul says we're perplexed, but we're not, we're not hopeless. We're not in despair. He says we're persecuted, we're experiencing trials, but we're not forsaken. We are cast down, but we're not destroyed. What he's basically saying is that we're experiencing all of this pressure, but it's not taking us out of the, the race. It's not moving us out of what God has called us to do. And these are the pressures there of leadership is that there's a lot of conflict that goes in to the leader trying to be obedient and trying to be faithful to the Lord. He says in verse 10, always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, meaning always in our body is, is always this the suffering some sort of way. Somebody is sick, someone is getting stoned, someone is getting uh, spit upon or treated disdainfully. He's like, this is what we're always experiencing, always about in the body, the dying of the Lord Jesus. But here's the thing, there's a purpose. He says, because we're allowing this to happen, we are being faithful to this so that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. And so what this tells us here, what Paul is trying to explain to us, is that concentration on purpose protects us from concentration on problems. What he's saying is that if I focus on my purpose and what God has called me to do, it will help me to go over my problems. I'm going to have problems, but I'm not concentrating on that. Yeah, this just slowed me down. What I really want to do is I want to do what God has called me to do, and I want to do it faithfully. That's what he's saying. We concentrate on our purpose. We want the life of Jesus to be revealed in who we are and what we are saying. We want people to go back and say, well, just tell me how I can get more of this Jesus of yours. Okay, I, I see 
you know, I've, I've paid attention to what's happened to you. I want what you have. And this is, this is important for us. We have to remember that the, the problems are trying to get us to, to really focus on those things coming in. And so that that way we, Christ can be seen. Notice what he says next. He says, for we which live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. In the book of 1 Corinthians, is very similar to what Paul said there in the book of 1 Corinthians when he talked about themselves uh, in, in the light of everybody else. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 9, he says, For I think that God has set forth us, the apostles, last, as it were appointed to death, for we are made a spectacle to the world and to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honorable, but we are despised. Even to this present hour, we both hunger and thirst and are naked and are buffeted and have no certain dwelling place. And, you know, he's saying, look, this is what we're dealing with. And our life, though we're experiencing these things, we're looking for something else. This is what he's saying here. We, we which live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake. We're always suffering something because the world doesn't want Christ. And so the world is going to see you as an enemy. This is, this is what our Lord said anyway. He said, if the world hated me, it will also hate you. I mean, they're not going to love you and hate Jesus. The only way that happens is when there's some compromise in your life, when you're not really living for him. When you're living under the principles of the world, will they love you more than they love Jesus? You know, because they're like, man, he, I like the way he brings it. You know, he keeps it real. He doesn't, you know, give us too much word and he doesn't make it too strong, but he allows us to, you got to be careful with that because this comes along with truth. Whenever you're trying to speak truth, people want to ostracize you. They want to reject you. They don't really want to hear what you have to say. But when people are hungry, let me tell you this. When people are hungry for the word, when they are hungry for the Lord, when they have tried everything in life and it does not work and they see what you have and they're like, I need that too. They're not deterred by truth. They are, they are drawn by truth. They want more of the word. It's only when we start dabbling in things of the world do we start waning in our desire for God's word. And when we're all the way in the world, we only have a desire for it. We don't want to hear it. Because we have so much of the world with us. Paul says, no. We want Jesus to be manifested in our mortal flesh. Listen, gang. We need to follow the Lord so closely that when the pressures come, they squeeze out his way in us. That's what we want. So we want to be following him, paying attention to him, reading about him, meditating on him so well that when the pressures of life come, because they will come, they will. But when they come, they'll squeeze on us. And the only thing that is oozing out is the ways of the Lord. We're going to prayer. We're trusting him. We're being quiet. We're resting. We're not moving. And this is, this is what we need. Remember, the Lord Jesus said in Luke chapter, I believe it was Luke chapter 6, he says that the person that builds a house is like this, especially the one that is not building it upon the rock. 
They build their house upon the sand. And then it said, then the floods come against that house and beat vehemently against it. And guess what? It washes away their entire house and they lose so much. He says, but the person that listens to the word and obeys the word and applies the word is like a man that builds his house on a rock. He digs deep upon the rock. And when the floods come, notice the floods came even for the person that didn't have a good foundation. The person that had a good foundation, the floods still came. It doesn't matter if you have a good foundation or not a good foundation. Pressures are going to come. But the, it'll determine if you follow the Lord close, you're digging deep on him on the rock. He's the rock. You're anchoring yourself to the rock. It'll determine if your house is washed away. We want the pressures to squeeze us so tightly that the only thing oozes out is his ways, is who he is, is his, his um, character, is what he is about. And this is what Paul is saying. We are always delivered, but only thing that is oozing out is the life of Jesus Christ. He says, so then death works in us, but life in you. And so what he is explaining here is that we are experiencing all these things, but we're doing it so that you can grow. Remember, growth and difficulty go hand in hand. And so you, you, when you have the difficulty, there's going to be growth. Now, even though death was working in them, there was growth in their lives. They were growing and getting close to the Lord. In fact, in the book of Philippians chapter 3, Paul the Apostle said this, in Philippians chapter 3, uh, verse 8, he says, Yes, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable to his death. This is what Paul says, my desire is just to know him. So even though it's producing death in them, they, they, his desire is still to know him personally, to get to know him. But it also produces growth for other people. And so him being faithful in the midst of this pressure causes other people to look at him and to get a good example, a good pattern. And they say, man, if this person, if, if you know, Tim can walk in this way and all these things are happening to him, then surely I can do the same thing. And it causes faith to be strengthened and sustained. I remember when my friend Nick when, when he had, you know, cancer and it was getting really bad, he was there at church uh, one week and he came up to just speak as he was, he was trying to go through some last treatment, but it was really becoming very grim for his uh, condition on this earth. And, and he just came on the stage and he just said, this verse has been sticking out to me uh, in my house and many mansions. If it was not so, I would have told you. He says, you know, don't be afraid. Is what the Lord says. Don't sorrow. I, I have something for you. Um, and he said this even while he was as frail as ever on the stage. But you know, what that didn't cause a whole lot of like people just crying and just. But what that generated was many people finding courage in the Lord. They're like, man, if this guy can be doing this, 
I mean, unbelievable. I could be living out my life. I mean, he was in the hospital calling me up, and I'm like, hey, what's up? What do you need? And he's like, oh, I'm just calling to see how you're doing. What you up to? I'm like, what is he thinking about? But this is his mind. And, and that type of faith, in the midst of the pressures, it causes someone else's faith to be made strong. So that's when Paul says, death works in us, but life in you. He's, their lives are being built up. And so this is the pressures of conflict, is that the leader has these pressures, but it's really for the purpose of others and, and other people. And so I want to say, look, maybe you have pressures in your life, and when they come in your life, how do you look at them? Do you think to yourself, you know what, this can be good for me, this can be good for others? Or do we take the natural route and we just have a pity party and we, we give up and you know, we go into the closet and next you know, we're in isolation for months and months. Uh, is that how we work? Uh, Paul is trying to explain for us and, and explain how it is. And then as he wraps it up, he says this in verse 13. We having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believe and therefore I have spoken. We also believe and therefore speak. Now, the only way you can understand this is you got to go back to the verse that he's quoting. This is Psalm chapter 116. So he's quoting Psalm 116, and in that psalm, the psalmist is talking about being delivered by God, that, you know, feeling uh, downcast, feeling beat down, persecuted, and then God comes and he helps you. And this is what he says, we have the same spirit of faith. I believe and I have spoken, we believe, therefore we speak. What, what the psalmist was saying in Psalm 116 when he said that is that he, was, he felt downcast, he felt beat down from all the pressures, but then... He was, he was renewed by the Lord, and because of this renewal, he believed in the Lord, and it caused him to be able to speak. It caused him to want to share. And he says, knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you. He said, this causes us to have confidence. Now, here's the thing. Pressures from without, what they end up doing is they, they start working on and focusing on all the troubles within to deflate our confidence. So this is the main purpose sometimes that Satan will hijack the trials for. You know, God will allow a certain trial in our life. What Satan wants is he wants you to focus so much on that trouble that it deflates your confidence. And so that you're not even thinking, you know, I believe the Lord, I'm going to speak about the Lord and his faithfulness. And you're not even thinking that, the Lord, if he could do this for me if he wants to. And you believe in the strength of God, the power of God. No, it causes us to be deflated and say, man, I'm hopeless. My life is done. That's just it. This is not what needs to happen, the pressures of life. You know, Paul goes on to say this. He says, for all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. I like how he puts the focus there on the believers he's like i am not going to forget and i'm suffering these things experiencing these things but it's not just because god forgot about me but it's because the work that i'm doing he says all things are for your sakes i'm doing all of this so that you can be living for the lord in a strong way i'm enduring all this so that you can know the lord personally he says for which cause in verse 16 we do not faint but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. So basically, the pressures that are coming our way, they have a double effect. 
they have an effect and that they do diminish the natural man. So, you know, when we come along, if somebody gets a sickness, it diminishes the natural man, but it also has an opportunity to promote the spiritual man, to strengthen the spiritual man. And so this is why he said, for all things are your ceases, for which cause we don't faint. The same thing he said in verse 1. We do not faint. We're not utterly spiritless when these things come into our lives. We're not. We don't faint. Even though our outward man, that earthen vessel, even though it's perishing, it's decaying, is going away, he says, but the inward man is being renewed, is being strengthened day by day. And so we don't concentrate then on this outward man. We don't concentrate on the pressures that come our way. You know, and you know, there's been so many of a saint that has, you know, gotten cancer or, or, or all kinds of diseases, and they just focus on the Lord. I remember reading a story about Bill Bright, uh, you know, the one of the founders of Campus uh, Crusades that, and that whole ministry on college campuses. And he had got a diagnosis that, you know, he he has some like stage four severe like lung cancer or something like that. I may have maybe a different type of sickness. Nevertheless, the guy that I was reading about was highly influenced by Bill Bright. And he said he went to go visit him in, in the hospital. And when he went to go visit him in the hospital, he thought that he was going to find a saint, a servant of the Lord, laying there on the bed, just, you know, sleeping, just sobbing, just feeling real sad. He said when he came in, he had mounds of papers all around the bed. And he was like, Bill, what are you doing? He's like, man, I... I, I just got to get this work finished. There's this work that I've been trying to do for the Lord, and I need to finish this aspect before I go home to be with him. His mind wasn't even focused on the pressure. He was focused on the work and how to impact other people. And he said, this right here just had him in just such amazement. Here's a man that has been given a death sentence, if you will, by the world. And he's like, hey, before I go home, I needed to finish this aspect. So I'm glad to see you. Let's talk a little bit, but I got some things that I need to finish. There's a man that is not concentrated on the things of this world. The, the, the inward man was being renewed, strengthened day by day. The outward man was perishing. Look, this tells us that there's two men, that you have a spiritual man. That spiritual man will live on for eternity in perpetuity. The question is, where will that spiritual man be? Will it be in the presence of the Lord? or in the presence of somewhere else, not without the Lord, otherwise known as eternal punishment or hell. We, we got to think about that. We, we need to be feeding ourselves so that when the pressures come, man, that inward man is just growing and becoming more glistening and prepared and ready for eternity. Not concentrating on this, this other man, you know, this earthen man, this natural man. We can't be concentrating on that. Uh, yesterday, I had a chance to ride uh, some 50 miles, and I was so eager to ride this 50 miles, and I went out, and, and I was riding. I, I felt like I was doing good. I was really good. Let me tell you, as I pulled into my community, it was like mile 53.8. I, I just said, I, I think I'm done beating, beating up this uh, physical body. You know, the, body, the Bible says that, uh, that, uh, that physical exercise has a little profit. I'm done with this, this earthen body. This is, I'm done. But when you think about the spiritual man, there's so much that needs to be built up, so much that needs to be strengthened. 
especially for the pressures, for the pressures that come. Notice he says this, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, works for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. He says our light affliction. That means a little weight. And he says, which is but for a moment. It's just for now, is what he's saying. So it puts a perspective. The way to handle pressures is to have a spiritual perspective. He says it's light. It's light and weight. It's only for like right now. He says it has nothing to do with that exceeding weight, the eternal weight of glory. The, the things that are waiting for us in eternity are so much more heavier, so much more weightier than these little small things down here on earth. I stubbed my toe or, you know, I got a keloid somewhere or whatever. Some limb is not working properly. What happens in eternity is so much more weight. And if we can concentrate on the spiritual things, then we can continue. Notice he says, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. We don't concentrate on the here and now. So Paul is saying that though there is pressure in our lives, we're concentrating on something far more weightier, far more greater. And it's in eternity when we stand before the Lord wanting to hear him say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Let me ask you. Are you looking for God to say those words to you? Do you want him to say that to you? Well done, my good and faithful servant. Not for the stuff you did in the church, you know, ushering, passing out programs. But I'm talking about living for him. Doing it when nobody else is looking. In the private. Being full of integrity. Do you want him to acknowledge that in your life? This is the focus that we need to have. The pressures of leadership. Paul says the way that we deal with the pressures of compromise is that we don't, we don't forsake the calling, that we don't give up on the word of God. We make sure that it's paramount, that we don't forsake the character of a Christian, that we hold fast to those things. That the way that we deal with the pressures of conflict is we focus on our purpose, what God has called us to. We let that, just keep that in the forefront and let that elevate us over our problems or carry us through our problems so that we know exactly what God wants. And the way that we deal with the pressures of confidence is that we remember to keep a spiritual perspective. That eternity is so long, but this life on earth is so short. We can't let everything that is done here affect all that is out there. We have to protect against that. These are the pressures of leadership. We would like for you to stay in touch and up to date with us. Follow us on Twitter at CC underscore Valdosta and visit our website at ccvaldosta.weebly.com for additional information about Calvary Chapel Valdosta and an archive of previous sermons. You can reach us by phone at 301-395-3382. Calvary Chapel Valdosta is a fellowship of believers committed to the study of the Word of God seeking the things that are Jesus Christ's. Let's say a word of prayer together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the scriptures and just showing us that even a, a godly man is going to go through some sort of trouble. 
But I pray that you would help us in the midst of the trouble to respond this way and to not give up, to not grow faint, Lord. I thank you for giving me even this verse yesterday, reminding me that I have received this ministry of the Holy Spirit. And so it is incumbent upon me not to faint, not to give up, because this is a glorious ministry, a powerful ministry, a changing ministry ministry and impactful and so lord i pray that you would help us uh, to look at things this way and to not lose heart but to be in prayer every single day and we ask this in jesus name amen